When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg says attempts to intimidate his office won't be tolerated after Trump's calls for protests. We have an absolutely riveting show today. NBC's John Allen stops by to talk about the clown car of the GOP presidential primary. Then ProPublica's Andy Kroll will detail the vast right-wing conspiracy Leonard Leo oversees. But first, we have the author of Too Much and Never Enough, The Mary Trump Show's Mary Trump. Welcome to Fast Politics, Mary Trump. Hey, Molly. It's really good to be back. I wish it were under different circumstances, as the saying goes. I have to tell you, I was like the only good thing when I saw the Trump tweet about how he's going to be arrested. By the way, I mean, if we're going to get technical here, it's a misdemeanor. I don't even think they could. I mean, I don't know the nuances of this, but my assumption is the chances of going to jail on a misdemeanor are zero. I think you're correct. <laughs> I am no lawyer here. But when I saw that, I was like, my, I thought, oh, we have to fucking deal with this guy again. And then I thought, oh, but we can talk to Mary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we can deal with it together. <laughs> it's like, I was like, there is one good family member. I mean, this is like probably the only person less surprised by that tweet than him or, you know, Melania or Ivana, wherever she is. It was you. Yeah, I might have been less surprised, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, you saw it and you were like, exactly, right? Yeah, there's literally nothing the man could do anymore that should surprise. And honestly, even shock. There was this period of time, we're going to have to start naming them like the Pleistocene era. But there was this particular era in the life of Donald Trump where the reactions were always, I'm not surprised, but I'm shocked. <laughs> we have no right to be shocked anymore. Got right. The only thing that's right, right, right. us right now is how long this is fucking taking. I really want to talk about that for a minute because that is the thing that has struck me the most over the last couple of months is this ability on the part of both the mainstream media and the conservative media and also all of us to be surprised, you know, like, for example, Trump was asked a question, if you're indicted, will you run? And he said yes, because of course. And people were shocked. He'll run, he'll raise money, and he'll win. <laughs> right, I know, that's the worst. No, he's definitely going to win. The thing that was so shocking to me was I thought, well, you know, normal world stuff will make you think, well, if enough indictments come, perhaps Republicans will say, like, this is the moment. And... I don't think there's any evidence to support that. There's zero evidence to support that, in fact. And 
I think one of the reasons you see people like DeSantis sitting on the sidelines is because they're waiting to see what the reaction is to the indictments. And I can tell them it will fire up the base even more and it will get other people to change their minds and decide to support him because he's going to betray himself as such an aggrieved victim. And he's going to call on all of them to right the wrongs, not just against him, but against them. It's going to do the same thing that he did in 2016, but on steroids. So the moment that I think was the moment where we saw 8.30 a.m., yesterday, on the 18th, sort of two hours after Trump had truced about how he was going to jail for because of political reasons, because of which had Kevin McCarthy, the man who was made speaker basically by a combination of Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump said, here we go again, an outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I mean, I feel like that was the moment. It was like the same as going to Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. to take pictures with Trump after January 6th. Yeah, that's absolutely right. He he has shown us with that statement that he's all in. He's also shown us not that we needed more evidence of it, that he's a complete idiot, because <laughs> I, I'm guessing he's seen absolutely none of the grand jury <laughs> right. evidence. So, yeah, they are preempting any reasonable analysis of what what has gone into this, we have to say, potential indictment because it hasn't happened yet. Right, exactly. But it is amazing to me because, like, the thing is, it just seems to me so clear, right? And the funny thing about that tweet, I want to just talk about that tweet from Kevin McCarthy for another minute, was the person who was most relieved to see that tweet was not Donald Trump, I think, but Donald Trump Jr. Because he knows (laughs) that as soon as this exercise is over, his gravy train stops. Oh, yeah. That That's actually, I, I try never to think about him, so that didn't occur to me. But <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. It'll be kind of interesting to see if it shifts the stance of either neutrality or distancing themselves that we've seen from, uh, what's her name, Ivanka and Jared. Yeah. If the entire party gets on board in the midst of what should be many, 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 many indictments. I feel like with Ivanka and Jared, there's more, I mean, supposedly there are rumors that there's trouble in paradise there and that maybe that is distracting them from their primary purpose, which is grifting off the gravy train that is dad. And I say this as a Nepo baby myself, though I'm middle-aged, so I'm a Nepo oldie. You're fortunes are invariably tied to your qualifier, you know, the one you get your nepotistic glow from. So, I mean, the fortune of Donald Trump is very much, I think, on the agenda of the spawn. And for Donnie and Eric, they are entirely attached. I know, poor. I forgot about Eric. Yeah, well, because (laughs) why not? (laughs) Their fortunes are entirely attached to Donald. Jared and Ivanka have a, first of all, Jared is legitimately wealthy. His father is legitimately wealthy. (laughs) After he got out of jail, he's been legitimately wealthy, yes. Exactly. Or, you know, legitimate to the extent that people like that can be. (laughs) Right. And I think that, well, clearly the calculation they've been making is that between Jared's daddy and MBS, they don't need Donald anymore. <laughs> right, but, it's true. But, you know, if he regains political relevance, and, and if they want political revel- relevance, that will change their tune. It depends what kind of power is more important to them. I always am sort of struck by, and again, I know this is like my own stupid naivete, and I, by the way, naivete is not the right word for what I'm about to describe, but there was an opportunity right after Trump lost for some of these members of the family to run for office. I mean, the Republican Party has a very low bar, you know, especially in these very red states. And, you know, if you've just (laughs) touched Donald Trump, you can be, you know, and none of them took it, which I always sort of was shocked by. Yeah, I I think the only well, hmm, I think Donnie just isn't capable of getting to the point where he can pull himself together enough to do something <laughs> like that. I, so, just, I mean, I'm not trying to I mean, me. it's, I have the disease of alcoholism. I mean, I'm sober a long time, but I get it, man. I mean, I'm not saying that anyone has anything, but I'm just saying I understand the inability to pull oneself together. I relate to that. Yeah, it, as do I, honestly, for, for different reasons. But, you know, I think a lot of us suffer from that, um, yeah. especially <laughs> post-Donald, post-COVID. Or, right, exactly. Well, not exactly. quite post-Donald. But um, I right. think, again, with Ivanka, it was more, that ended so badly that there was no way to know at first how 
easily the Republican Party would be swayed to fall in line and how egregiously irresponsible the new powers that be at the DOJ would be in calling anybody to account. I don't know that it would have been clear at the time. That Trump would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Which we now know he will. Yep, we do. <laughs> and and I think it is pretty interesting. So I want to talk to you about, we're, well, let's just game out this week a little bit. It's Sunday. This podcast comes out on Monday. Actually comes out on Sunday night for those of you who are very excited. So, you know, Trump has said Tuesday. We've heard Monday. We've heard Wednesday. We heard last Friday. So certainly something is coming. There are other indictments. Again, though, None of these are from the DOJ, so they have a lot less power than a DOJ indictment, or they because they are come from these lawmakers who have been elected. They have a certain partisan tinge, even if you might not believe that. But it does undermine, I think, a little bit about what's going on. I mean, what do you think? I th- I mean, there are protests planned. There's more tweeting. I mean, where do you think this goes? You know your uncle, unfortunately for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think his reaction falls into two categories. Well, whatever the case is, he'll do what he's already been doing. He's he's already setting up the challenge. He's attempting to undermine the validity of the process and the charges, et cetera. And the only thing we don't know is if he, is he going to cooperate. One thing about Donald is when push comes to shove, he does seem to have this pragmatic side. You know, right. like he didn't dig in his heels and stay in the Oval Office. Were you a little shocked by that? I was a little shocked by that. No. I wasn't because uh, <laughs> he's a baby and, right. you know, that would have taken some guts, actually. So right. what does he do? He he leaves with all of his many thousands of stolen documents and he <laughs> right. just doesn't go to the inauguration. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's how he fought the good fight. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's really unlikely that he doesn't show because for whatever reason, it's, I don't think it's about even listening to anybody, although I'm sure he does on some level have to be persuaded. He does have a remarkable instinct for self-preservation. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about John Edwards because I think this is an important data point. John Edwards, Democrat, very handsome, extremely nice head of hair, <laughs> accused of funneling nearly a million dollars in donor contributions to support his pregnant mistress. Again, not what campaign money is supposed to be in case those of you who are Republicans who are listening to this. I was going to say, not if you're a Democrat. Right. That's yeah. He is accused. He is indicted. And he is ultimately, uh, he's ultimately, it's dismissed. <laughs> there definitely is a sense that people do not want to indict former candidates. Well, Discuss. That's stupid. <laughs> is, is, is that a nuanced enough response? <laughs> I mean, Elon Musk said this is going to make him president again. Well, okay. Not because of the indictment, though, because the process is so broken. Because if indeed this is the first indictment against him, that makes all of the others, which are much, much, much more serious, harder or tainted somehow. Right. So it isn't because he's getting indicted. It's because he's had, oh, my God. How many years? <laughs> so many years that I feel like I'm 98 now <laughs> to evade, change the subject, create a new narrative, get other people believing lies, etc. And you also have people on on the, the the right side of things, which is to say the left, who are going to be like, yeah, so <laughs> because it's just taking forever. <laughs> it also has a lot to do with framing. It's always this is cases I see it always put in terms of. Stormy Daniels and hush money. Right. But it's not. It's a it's elections fraud. Right, right, right. Which clearly not as as serious as inciting an armed insurrection against your own government <laughs> or stealing right. two elections in a row, but right. it's still pretty friggin' serious. And it's our unwillingness to just face these things head on that continues to enable people like Donald Trump to gain power. And it starts with, you know, the fact that Richard Nixon wasn't indicted. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think it is interesting, though, when we're talking about this, to think about how the Republican Party. So we saw Kevin McCarthy. We're going to see other. I want to I want to like finish up with this Don Jr. because it's like you can see what's happening in his head. So after Don Jr. tweeted that, like this tweet about how thrilled he was that Kevin McCarthy decided to uh, defend his dad, Mm -hmm. it uh, Don Jr. <laughs> wrote another tweet 
feeling a little bit now. He's decided the tides have turned and he's pretty psyched and he thinks people are going to continue to support his dad. And he says, pay attention to which Republicans spoke out against this corrupt BS immediately and who sat on their hands and waited to which way the wind was blowing. So, I mean, you do definitely see like the Trump apparatus has kicked into gear. You got Pizza Jack, you got Don Jr. They are ready to support daddy and bully whoever they can into supporting him. And again, I just don't see how this apparatus does not deliver Donald Trump the GOP nomination. It does. That's what it was designed for. And again, that's actually fine. That's how it's supposed to work, right? That's their job. The problem, again, always comes back to the unwillingness of the people who actually had the power to do something about it, refusing to do something about it. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. Jack Smith, it took two years for this man to be appointed special counsel. That should have happened two years ago. Fonnie Willis, I'm not going to second guess her, but last I checked, imminent doesn't mean it'll be a really long time and I'll probably be (laughs) dead before anything happens. (laughs) So not that she's unwilling, but that if you are so concerned about that phrase, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to jump off a cliff go for the king you best not miss. Right. If you don't go for him at all, you know, you're totally going to miss. That's why the apparatus has had so much time, so much leeway. They've gotten away with so much. They've changed so many narratives. They've changed so many minds that if DeSantis or anybody of his ilk did decide to run, they will be roadkill and they will be tainted forever for running as a Republicans. Right. It's just such an interesting. I mean, are you worried about violence in New York? I mean, it sounds like there's certainly some chance of that. I'm not worried about violence in New York City. It is so anti-Donald that, um, you know, the no, number of people true. who show up will be <laughs> so outnumbered. Right. They that... should do it in the villages in Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the problem is that it could happen anywhere. You know, we could we could be looking at stochastic violence because of how Donald triggers people. And that's the concern that we, you know, after the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, that guy in Chicago tried to go at an FBI office and he ended up dead and other people could have been killed. So I have a feeling one of the reasons that, that it's taking longer is because all of these venues have to put in place very, very serious security organizations because they are desperately worried that Donald is going to incite people to commit violence, which I'm guessing John Edwards did not do. (laughs) But he did have that beautiful hair. He did have very beautiful hair. I I can see the hair. I'm sorry that you have to deal with this again. I mean, I'm sorry that we have to deal with this again, but I am sorry. Like, at least I don't like Donald Trump and I don't like how this went down, but it doesn't like my own fucked up family stuff is not somehow tied to this. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) It'd be really weird if it were. Right. But I mean, I feel like there's a certain kind of, you know, I can just deal with my parents in a compartmentalized box, which is not the American political system. (laughs) Game is out for me. Where do you think this goes? Specifically in terms of New York? Well, and just in terms of like the, you know, he wins the nomination. What worries me is that he is in some regards stronger in 2024 than he was in 2016 or 2020. Simply by, and this is a great irony, because in some ways the Biden administration has made things better. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so there's that. Unlike 2016, Donald will have all of the Republican arms supporting him. Right. So, you know, they'll all get in line no matter what they say about him. I don't know that the Never Donald group has grown significantly in the interim. On the other hand, I think his running actually undercuts some of their arguments against Biden, although actually they only have one argument against Biden, and it's that he's old. Right. He's too old. Yeah. I can't live my life if I think that Donald will win the general election. (laughs) Right. I have to be optimistic, but I think we need to be very, very worried. Yeah. No, I think that's right. (laughs) Happy Sunday, everyone. Happy Monday, everyone. Or or Sunday night. Right. The worst is yet to come. That's right. That's right. Because Kimberly knows. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you, Mary. It's great to be here, Molly. Thank you. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. 
It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Allen is a political reporter at NBC and the author of Lucky, How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency. Welcome back to Fast Politics, my friend and yours, John Allen. Melly Chong Fast. <laughs> We're going to do old radio here. You've been to some rallies, John. You've seen some shit. Tell me what you've seen. I went to see uh, Ron DeSantis' first two events in Iowa a week ago, and then Donald Trump's first rally in Iowa of the 2024 campaign a few days later, also in Iowa. Where were you? In Davenport and Des Moines for the two DeSantis events, and then back in Davenport for the Trump event. If, you know, for folks who don't know, Davenport is on the Mississippi River, one of the four quad cities that straddle the Mississippi between Iowa and Illinois. All right. That's more than I want to know about Davenport. We got to, we're, no, I'm just kidding. We're not a geography podcast. I first want to talk about Ron DeSantis because I feel like everyone is very excited about him. I mean, I've read reporting that says he's kind of a goof. Talk to me. Uh, He gave, you know, essentially uh, what would be a stump speech to uh, about 700 people in each location that he spoke at. Uh, He was introduced by Governor Kim Reynolds, who sat on stage with him and did some Q&A with him. He signed books for people. You know, I think what I what I would say is that 
if there were not a Donald Trump in this race and like an open Republican primary and you were Ron DeSantis and you went into Iowa and 1,500 people came to see the first day between two events, you'd have to feel like you were in pretty good shape. But there is a Donald Trump in this race and Donald Trump remains the dominant factor. He's the thing that the person that people talk the most about. I think Iowa voters are open to an alternative, but that alternative, whether it's Ron DeSantis or somebody else, is going to have to clear the bar of Iowa voters thinking that they're electable. Right. Do you think that Donald Trump would honor not being the nominee? (laughs) Hilarious question. I mean, I don't want to predict future uh, results based on past performance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) This is the thing I don't understand about the current calculus, is that if Donald Trump were a normal candidate who said, all right, it's enough. You know, I've lost three times. I'll let the party recover and you guys can, you know, chart a new course. But there is no evidence to support the idea that he would do that. No, uh, quite the opposite. And, you know, the Republican Party is somewhat hostage to that. If the belief is that Donald Trump is going to tell his folks to stay home or he's going to take other action, uh, you know, casting doubt on the integrity of Republican primaries. Or run as a third party, right? Well, I think he's less likely to run as a third party candidate for a variety of reasons, including the difficulty of getting on the ballot as a third party candidate. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons. There are states that have sore loser laws you know, that make that really difficult. So I think that there's plenty of reason to think he wouldn't actually run as a third party candidate, but that doesn't mean that he wouldn't sink the Republican nominee out of spite. I don't think that's something that's predictable right now. I think he would, you know, sort of gauge what was in his best interest at the time. Wouldn't it be in his best interest, no matter, like, say he gets indicted, which is certainly possible. Say he gets indicted, Wouldn't it still be in his best interest to continue on this road of running for president? Because at least, you know, if he's not running for president, he's just a normal guy. Whereas if he's a candidate, he then has the added protection of being a candidate. There's that. And also, you know, I talked to voters who said that they thought an indictment would help him politically. Yeah, I think that, too. So, I mean, and, uh, you know, there's no reason that he can't run if he's indicted, no reason he couldn't run even if he were convicted of something. I don't expect him to go away from the campaign trail. Right. Okay. So talk to me about what DeSantis was like. The thing that we see in a lot of reporting is that he's Jeb. He's not Clinton. Bill, not Hillary. I mean, um, is that true? Or I mean, what did you say? Did he kiss babies? <laughs> well, he, he did. I mean, he did some of that sort of basic retail politicking, but felt a little staged. But I guess what I would say is, you know, if you're watching DeSantis up close for the first time, he's a pretty polished public speaker, but he's not engrossing. He's not Donald Trump. He's not Bill Clinton, who's got, you know, the audience in the palm of his hand. I think, you know, for his campaign, they would probably like to be something akin to George W. Bush in in 2020, where the party just decides it's him. uh, And he's got, you know, sort of combination of natural capabilities and manufactured star power versus Jeb Bush, who just got a lot of money and and then (laughs) squandered it because he wasn't very good as a candidate. You know, he wasn't good on the campaign trail. My guess is that Ron DeSantis will fall somewhere between the two Bushes. Not between two ferns, mind you. That's somebody Uh, else's show. I want to talk to you about W for a second because everything old is new again. Um, W, and again, no fan of W, W was a folksy guy. George W. Bush could come over to your house and hang out and you'd probably have a good time with him. Have a beer. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm no fan of W. In fact, if anyone's not a fan of W, it's me. But I do think that there was a sense with W, and a lot of that was an affectation, but he did fake folksy very, very well. I mean, obviously he's not, you know, does it come from folksy? (laughs) Certainly not. Comes from from Pappy and, uh, you know, (laughs) and extreme wealth and privilege, but he seemed like a regular guy and, you know, and consistently, right? Even, you know, other politicians that met with him, you know, so like easy to get along with. He had a really good relationship with Nancy Pelosi. Right. I think they just liked each other. As far as DeSantis goes, I mean, there are all these stories that, you know, almost anyone you talk to will tell you some story of Ron DeSantis behaving awkwardly in public, meaning, you know, going to an event and sort of sitting in a corner. Pudding fingers? Yeah, there was a report just this week about him eating chocolate pudding with three fingers. On an airplane. Yeah, on an airplane, which would put Amy Klobuchar's eating salad with a comb story to shame. What kind of pudding was it? Tapioca pudding. (laughs) 
I don't know if you know this, but presidential hopeful Marianne Williamson, serious presidential candidate Marianne Williamson, please insert irony here, also had a terrible boss piece come out this week. And people were saying, well, they're just trying to bring her down because she's a woman, which, again, that does happen. It's more unusual to have these stories about men. It's more unusual to have these stories about men. You know, I don't remember a story about a man eating pudding with his fingers before. <laughs> so I guess that's that's sort of unprecedented. These tend to be written more about women. There is sort of an angle of misogyny toward the, the concept that women are, you know, tough on their staffs. So I think that the bar is different, but that doesn't mean that abusive women bosses should get a free pass because there's more scrutiny on women. And at the same time, also abusive men bosses should not get a pass. And a third thing is we should understand that the culture of the work world and the adult work world is that if you're not doing your job, sometimes somebody should tell you that directly. And also sometimes people have difficulty with that. So all of that said, don't eat pudding with your fingers on an airplane if you're going to run for president. Right. That's the overall thing, which is no matter all all the other rules, don't eat pudding with your fingers on an airplane past the age of four. (laughs) Even then, I mean, if you're planning on running for president. So talk to me about you saw DeSantis. He speaks very well. He's quite smart. He's a lawyer. He went to Harvard. He went to Yale, yada, yada, yada. So you, you got a real sense of him. Tell me about the Trump rally that you went to. So the Trump rally I went to was in a venue that's a little smaller than Trump usually does. It was inside in a theater that, you know, holds somewhere north of 2,000 people. This was Trump, you know, doing Trump for two hours. Uh, I've seen it before. It was a little fresher. Um, he's got new material uh, <laughs> oh, he for, does? The, for the stand-up, including, you know, including some serious policy, uh, you know, sort of policy rollouts. Baby bonuses? There's baby bonuses. He wants to... Uh, Bring up the Department of Education. Into what? Fascism and light fascism? Well, into states running education. Oh, wow. That'll be great. All right. So go on. But my point is that there's there's actually some substance to what he's talking about, some forward looking substance, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and that's a little bit different. And, uh, you know, his crowds are exceptionally into what he's doing. You got huge standing ovations repeatedly, people chanting at him. What are they chanting? You know, chanting pro-Trump slogans. So like lock her up? No, 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 no. Just, oh, well, that's something. Yeah, no, I mean, there was no lock her up. Build a wall? And stuff like that. I can't remember build a wall was a specific one of them. There was definitely USA chance, stuff like that. So the, what I was going to say is the one noticeable difference was that when he went after Ron DeSantis by name, or by nickname, De Sanctimonious De Sanctus, the crowd was relatively silent. They didn't like it. Oh. Or they certainly didn't love it. They weren't eating it up. Wow. Yeah. Has he tried Tiny D yet? I have not heard him roll that out. I think that is the thing that ends up killing him, Tiny D. (laughs) I want to stay employed, Molly. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. So who had bigger crowds? Trump had bigger crowds. He had one crowd and it was bigger than the two crowds that DeSantis had. Who had more enthusiastic crowds? Trump. So that's pretty interesting. I think a lot of the people at the DeSantis rally, and I, you know, I, mean, I spoke to a lot of them, were sort of open to DeSantis. Certainly the people who were already in his camp showed up. But like there were a bunch of people there that were, I guess, more than curious, but less than committed. They want to hear what he had to say and some of it they like. And even those who really like what he's say, saying may still vote for Trump. Right. I mean, that I think is the ultimate problem. I also saw this polling and I actually wrote about this this week. Ideologically, a lot of these Republicans would rather win. I mean, would rather have someone they agree with than win. Yeah, I saw that polling. And uh, if you go for somebody you agree with over somebody who will win, typically will find that you no longer like that person you agree with because they've lost an election. Yeah, but that hasn't happened with Trump, right? I mean, he's lost three elections. Oh, you're saying the midterms. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the direct correlation from the president or the recent former president to midterm results is fraught. Did he do things that hurt Republicans? Absolutely. Did he lose in 2020? Absolutely, 100%. But not everybody who is a Republican voter believes that he lost fairly. Well, that is the other thing I want to talk to you about, because I think that's really important. There is a not insignificant part of the Republican Party that believes these sort of I think the 
biggest example of it is Carrie Lake with her. I actually won the governorship. Do you think this serves Republicans? And if so, how? Well, I think it's going to be very hard for her to serve as governor of Arizona and vice president (laughs) concurrently. (laughs) She'll find a way. I don't think that it will serve Republicans, certainly in the long term. I don't think it'll serve them in the short term. You know, I think election denialism was one of the things that was on the ballot in the midterms, and, and generally speaking, it was rejected. There were c- certainly a few places where it wasn't. But, like, I, I have to think that that's generally a bad thing for the Republican Party. And if it's, if the Republicans are successful, and let's remember that it's not all the Republicans that are pushing this, and, in fact, most Republicans aren't. But if Republicans were to be successful in pushing election denialism, it would be a very bad thing for the country and the world. Yes. And let me clarify why I say that, because... Anybody pushing election denialism for legitimate elections, gaining power, whether Republican, Democrat or anything else, would be bad for the country and bad for the world. I want to ask you about this poll, this Fox polling, because this is pretty interesting. So there is this Fox polling that came out after the Dominion lawsuit, which says that people have lost some faith in Fox. Do you think that's bullshit, that they've seen some stuff about the Dominion stuff? And again, I mean, who knows where they're seeing it, right? Because they're certainly not seeing it on Fox. But I mean, what do you what's your hot take on on that? I mean, does that ultimately hurt the brand? I mean, I talked to Republican voters at the Trump rally and, you know, for the most part, they hadn't heard of (laughs) the Dominion lawsuit at all, much less what Tucker Carlson and other Fox hosts were saying in text messages. These people are still diehard Foxers. Well, I mean, I think they're more Trump than Fox. So if there's a split there, I think Trump retains most of the Trump folks. You know, and I asked people about that, too. And that's that's kind of the response I got. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Domin- the Dominion lawsuit and what the Fox folks are saying behind the scenes is going to have much of an impact, uh, in part because Fox News isn't <laughs> showing isn't covering it. Right. it right. right, right, right. So they're not going to see it, <laughs> though. I do think when the trial happens, they're going to have a harder time hiding it. I think they'll probably have a harder time. But again, if you get your news from one source and that source isn't covering something, then you're not going to know about it. Agreed, agreed. Now, I want to ask you, I mean, it does sound like the top line from what you're saying, and I'm just extrapolating here, is basically it's Trump's party. And if he continues to want it, he can have it. I would give him the advantage right now for winning the Republican nomination. There are more people in the Republican Party who are for Trump than who are for anybody else. And that makes him the dominant figure. So again, and we've been saying this for a while, like he's less powerful than he probably has been at any point. I don't think that's true, though, because February was a good month for him. Maybe he's getting a little stronger, but from his apex, he has lost power within the Republican Party, and yet he is still by far the most powerful Republican. Yeah, much more than Mitch. Donald Trump, even out of office, has more certainly has more power in the Republican Party than Mitch McConnell does. Yeah, unbelievable. I want to ask you, what are you watching now? What are you covering? What's happening now? I always think of you as sort of a person who knows what's going on. I mean, I think this race by DeSantis to get to where Trump is on Ukraine, uh, which is to say, you know, moving away from U.S. support for Ukraine is fascinating to watch because there's a big split in the Republican Party between, you know, the sort of populist, nationalist, some would say isolationist wing represented by Trump and his group, and then the sort of old school establishment defense hawk set. And just kind of watching that develop is going to be interesting. I know most Americans don't vote on foreign policy, but I think sometimes foreign policy can be a proxy for how you see a leader. But don't you think the calculus that DeSantis made was that he couldn't win a presidential primary without Tucker? And so he had to do what he thought Tucker would want. I mean, there's no way the lawyer from Gitmo doesn't believe in this kind of nation building stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that he feels like he has to move toward Tucker Carlson, but only because Tucker Carlson is where a lot of the base is, which is where Donald Trump is. I mean, they're, they're all kind of following each other. Right. It's a chicken or the egg situation. But to the extent that Ron DeSantis, you know, sort of offers a watered down version of Donald Trump, like there's a question about whether that works. I mean, we just saw in the last Democratic primary how difficult it was for candidates between the polls of Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, you know, the people in the middle of them to like sort of emerge, right? Like the watered down version of either one of them didn't really work that well. One last question, because we're out of time. Do you think Biden announces soon? You think he's the nominee? You think Marianne Williamson takes him out? I think Marianne Williamson will not be the Democratic nominee. 
Why do you hate women? No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just one, Molly. <laughs> so Marion Williamson will not be the nominee. Is that what you're saying? Marion Williamson will not be the nominee. Joe Biden, as he likes to say, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. All other things being equal, Joe Biden will be the nominee. The Democratic Party. Thank you, John Allen. Take care. Andy Kroll is an investigative reporter for ProPublica and author of the new book, A Death on W Street, The Murder of Seth Rich and the Age of Conspiracy. Welcome to Fast Politics, Andy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. This Leonard Leo, he's not a good guy, is he? He is one of the most influential people that I think most people have not heard of. I'm shocked at the number of folks out there who don't know the name Leonard Leo, but when I tell them even a tiny bit about the things he's done, they their eyes go big and they sort of gasp <laughs> and they sit back in their chair and they say, oh my God, how have I not heard about this person? And then I say, well, that's what I'm here for, my friend. <laughs> so explain to us how you got involved in this. I mean, I'm sitting in my office, staring at the computer, wondering how in the year of World War 2023, we are looking at a conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court that seems poised to roll back advancements, a major precedent, a whole range of fixtures of modern life in America, and wondering how this happened. They're wondering how we got here. How in this time did the, not just the Supreme Court of the United States, but also so many courts around the country become these real bastions for conservatism, become the venues where attorney generals or private individuals, advocacy groups, whatever, can go and try to challenge affirmative action, try to challenge abortion rights, try to challenge birth control, I mean, you name it. And every time I started digging into these questions, they started pointing me back to the work of Leonard Leo. I mean, it was kind of shocking in a sense of like, I didn't think that so many of these questions would be answered by looking to this one guy. But again, that's why I say, you know, I think he's one of the most overlooked, but one of the most influential figures of the last 20 or 30 years in this country. And that is what set us down the path to looking at him. That is what got us interested in this, this group, the Teneo Network. That's the focus of our most recent story. So explain to our listeners what this group is. The Teneo Network is a private and confidential, to use their words, <laughs> network of up-and-coming conservatives who work in basically every business sector, industry, walk of life that you can imagine. I mean, I'm not talking just about the like blue blazer, khaki, tassel loafer set in politics in Washington, D.C., but I'm talking about people who work in finance, people who work in energy, people who work in entertainment and media, academia, across the board here. I mean, the way, the way to think about the Teneo Network is, going back to our friend Leonard Leo, Leonard Leo worked for a long time at an organization called the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society began as a campus club for conservative law students who felt ostracized, who felt left out, who thought that everyone on their campuses was crazy liberals and they needed a place to hang out. So the Ben Shapiro's of olden days. The Ben Shapiro's of olden days. The Charlie Kirk's, yeah. Yes, two people who actually are members of the Teneo Network, but we'll get to that. So the Federalist Society over a span of 30 years starts as a campus club, but actually becomes this pipeline for conservative judges, conservative justices, legal minds on the right. I mean, it really is the place where all the big legal battles taking on things like Obamacare, taking on Roe, taking on, uh, I mean, really any major democratic or liberal policy outcome of the last 30 years get challenged. And, you know, we're at a place right now where five of the nine Supreme Court justices currently on the court have been Federalist Society members in their lifetime and are very close with the organization. So it's this really, this powerful force in American politics in the legal world for conservatives. The Teneo Network wants to do 
for the rest of America what the Federalist Society did for the law. That's the most pithy way to put it. And it is it is an audacious thing that they are trying to do. That's pretty chilling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's 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 audacious, but they believe that they can do it based on what they've been able to do with the courts, what they've been able to do in the legal world. And so where does this start? Yeah, it starts around 2007, 2008. One of the co-founders of Teneo is a fellow named Evan Baer, tech entrepreneur, you know, really quick to drop all the startup lingo. Close personal friend of he who shall not be named. (laughs) Peter Thiel. Yes. Yep. Working at the time in 2007, 2008 for Peter Thiel, they're having lunch at a Baja Fresh. Very important detail there. Right. In uh, Washington, (laughs) D.C. I love a chain. Yeah, continue. You got to get the burrito joint name in there. And also, I feel like a Baja Fresh in Washington, D.C., because when you go to Washington, you want to eat the local food. Exactly. The the regional delicacies. The local chain food, yes. Exactly. You know, Peter Thiel and his underling Evan Bear are complaining about conservatives and complaining about how liberals are so much more powerful than they are, et cetera, et cetera. And they say, gosh, you know, the one good thing we have going for us is the Federalist Society or FedSoc, as people call it. Right. What if we did something like that, but for tech dudes like us or for bankers or for friends who work in the media? And so the idea germinates there. And, and also, I said Peter Thiel's name, sort of present at the creation, but actually one of the legal co-founders of Teneo was none other than Josh Hawley. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah, yeah that just obscure, well-coiffed lawyer in private practice today, a United States senator from Missouri. So the idea begins there. Who has never lived in Missouri, but sure, continue. I guess he lived in Missouri when he was a kid, but he doesn't have a house in Missouri right now. I mean, he's been a creature of Washington politics for quite a long time. But his sister has a country house in the Ozarks, so that counts. As we all do, right? <laughs> exactly. So this group Teneo is sort of chugging along from those humble origins, uh, but it never quite lives up to its lofty expectations that it's going to be the Federalist Society for for America, for everything else, until Leonard Leo comes along. And Leonard Leo in 2017, 2018 is spending a lot of his time advising then President Trump about how to put more judges on the Supreme Court, on the appeals courts, on the district courts. But also Leonard Leo is clearly thinking about the long game. He's thinking about the future. He sees this group to Neo and basically says, hey, I think I know how to take you guys to the next level. I think I know how to actually make this thing work. He's got a decent track record of doing just that. And, you know, he becomes a much more of a driving force with this group to the point that today he is the chairman of the board. He's helping the group raise money. He is really trying to take the things that he learned from the legal wars and apply them to the culture wars writ large. And Teneo is is the vehicle to do that. So it's a it's a really key part of understanding what this really key figure Leonard Leo is up to right now. Give us tangible, like, for example, the Federalist Society did things like it found young lawyers, it nurtured them, it created them, and then it pushed them to go for judgeships. It, you know, it started with cocktail parties and it ended with, you know, five (laughs) Supreme Court justices. So what is the Teneo Group's sort of answer to that? There are a bunch of answers to that because they are trying to have so much influence across so many different parts of American society. So one of them is a pretty obvious one, which is getting their people elected to higher office. And so, you know, there is a, a Teneo member named Will Scharf. He calls Leonard Leo his mentor. He has kicked around conservative activism for a number of years. He's a lawyer and he's now running for attorney general in Missouri. And that, you know, Missouri Attorney General has been a launching point for such people as Josh Hawley, the senator. And so this is no small thing. And as we've seen in recent years, these these attorney generals can actually have a pretty big impact from that perch in their state. So they can, you know, Teneo can sort of bring along, elevate, and then, you know, its members, the group is a nonprofit. So the group isn't like a super PAC. It can't 
spend money itself. Right. But the idea that this is a nonprofit when it really does have a pr- political motive is, is is pretty crazy because that's what not what nonprofits are supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, they were very, very adamant when we were doing all of the fact checking and everything on the story. And then like they don't make don't you know, Taneo itself does not make donations. They, they don't have a pack. You know, they're about education, blah, blah, blah. But they make donations in kind. And their members make donations. Right. I mean, Will Scharf has donations from Leonard Leo, from, again, Taneo co-founder Evan Baer, from other senior people in the group. So, you know, it's not like Taneo is doling out cash, but it's it's a pretty similar thing because Will Scharf can go to his friends and say, hey, like support me for my campaign and they'll donate. So- you know, it's the springboard for people to run for office. But they're not paying taxes. I think what is important here is that this is being set up the same way that like a charity to help homeless children is. They are at the ta- same tax structure as that. 501c3 nonprofit. That is correct. So like you could give money to helping homeless children or you could give money to something that is the Federalist Society for everything else. Yeah, you could give money to an organization that says it's one of its goals is to quote unquote roll back or crush liberal dominance end quote across American life. So should that be a non? I mean, not to get all sticky in the IRS here for a minute, but shouldn't that not be a nonprofit? I mean, it definitely seems to walk up close to the line when you're talking about crushing liberal dominance, when you're talking about elevating young conservatives. I mean, doesn't seem the same as helping homeless children. No, it does. It, it doesn't seem the same as the Red Cross or right. yeah. visiting nurses <laughs> right, or right. Yeah, doctors I mean, without borders. But right. Exactly. Then again, the, you know, one thing I'm glad you brought that up Thank you, because, you know, one really important thing to understand about Leonard Leo is that he has really maximized the, the amount of money he can raise into nonprofit organizations. So so the sort of the charities that we were just talking about, and then their slightly more political siblings, these are also known as 501c4s. You know, Leonard Leo has mastered the art of using these nonprofit organizations, using tax-exempt organizations to move money around, to support people who are going to be judges to, in some cases, support political organizations like the Republican Attorneys General Association. This is a trademark technique of his that he, again, has done and really mastered for 20 years at this point. And Teneo is clearly another piece of the puzzle for him. And, and until there's an IRS that actually has the ability to take a hard look at nonprofits on the right, the left, wherever, you know, this kind of stuff is going to continue. Yeah. I mean, it's it certainly sounds like it. So we have a lot of listeners who listen to this program who are curious as what they can do, what the sort of way back from something like this is. Good question. I mean, I think the first thing to know is to know that this thing exists and to understand that the guy who helped architect the conservative Supreme Court is still very much in the game and that he is looking to extend his influence well beyond the courts. You know, a, th- a key part of what Taneo is trying to do is trying to have influence in the local level and the state level. And there's a bit of the piece that we reported about how Taneo is mapping out, as they put it, these different institutions in big cities. They're looking at Atlanta and a couple places in Texas based on a recording mapping out the key institutions and then trying to either get their own people into those institutions to then start to change them, or if their people are already there, to let everyone else know, hey, like we have a whole bunch of our friends are in the country clubs or the newspapers, or the rotary or whatever in these big cities. So if you're someone who cares about this stuff, it's a reminder that your local institutions are a big part of you know, how this country moves in one direction or another. And if you care about the direction of not just the country writ large, but, you know, your your own town, your city, your state. You know, you got to be involved in some of these things that maybe they seem parochial. Maybe they seem awfully small ball compared to the United States Supreme Court, but they do matter. And the people 
who, you know, if, if, if you're a progressive person and you don't agree with the conservatives, you know, the conservatives are organizing at that local level. That's a key part of this story that we've published. So you probably want to be organized in your own, participating and organized in your own cities as well, because the other side, if you will, is doing that very thing. I want to ask you sort of one last question, which is how does Peter Thiel figure into all of this? Thiel is clearly you know, an intellectual godfather of this organization. He was there again, as we said, at the creation of it. You know, we didn't find, at least in the reporting for this story, that he is on the board. He's not listed on the board. Well, that's something. Yeah, he's not, you know, his his presence didn't seem particularly overt, but I would not be surprised if he was, you know, a sort of an ally is what they call the sort of like non-member supporters of the group. And clearly, you know, a lot of the people that we write about in this group are are acolytes of Teal. You know, this this Teneo network I found really fascinating because it's a glimpse at the conservative vanguard. It's a glimpse at young conservatives, who they are, where they are, what their worldview is. And really it's this more sort of DeSantis style kind of populist, powerful state, anti-woke ideology. It's different from Trumpism, if, there's, if there is such a thing as Trumpism. And it's certainly different from Reaganism, which is small government at all costs. And Teal is very much an intellectual leader and a funder in a lot of ways of that vanguard. I mean, J.D. Vance is a Teneo member. J.D. Vance. Of course is, he is. Yes, is in, the, is in the videos that we obtained for this story. And I personally think J.D. Vance is someone, I know your listeners are watching him, but watch him closely. I think he is as much a leader of this new conservative vanguard as a Josh Hawley or a DeSantis. Here's a stupid question. I'm always like, like want to give these people a chance because I'm an idiot. But I'm just curious, like Vance was, I mean, again, I want to think that Vance is less evil than the rest of them, despite all of his behavior to the contrary. All right, that's it. That wasn't a question. But he's not. I mean, it sounds like he's not. He's undergone a really fascinating evolution. You know, he is not the J.D. Vance of... Yesteryear. Yeah, of yesteryear, of the VC world. I don't think he's even the J.D. Vance of hillbillyology at this point. You know, he really is this sort of anti-woke, strong government conservative kind of, you know, there's a populist strain in there, but it's hard to see where it goes and certainly very much anti-woke. You know, him winning a Senate seat in Ohio, which though it has pushed to the right quite a bit, is still a decent bellwether for the country, I think very much puts him on the national map as much as any of these other folks who have stepped forward, whether it's DeSantis or Haley, you name it. And, you know, I, I think Vance is very much at the vanguard, and I think it is not the sort of feel-good populism, <laughs> hillbillyology of the past. It is stronger and a, and a bit darker than that. It's pretty dark. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andy. I hope you will come back. I hope you'll have me back. I love this podcast and it's a pleasure to be on it. And now your moment of fuckery. Molly Junk Fast. Jesse Cannon. You know those like defend New Orleans, defend Brooklyn shirts? I'm going down to Mar-a-Lago and I'm making some that say defend Mar-a-Lago because we're going to surround the place to keep President Trump from being arrested. I love this because <laughs> it's so stupid. But also, what if we use choppers to circumvent the Patriot moat? Does oh, everything yes. have to be Patriot? That's what it says on this 4chan. But does uh, when, everything when, have to be Patriot? Remember when we did that interview where Trump wanted to fill the mo make a moat at the border wall and have alligators in it? What do you think is going to be at this moat? Do you think like they're just going to fill it with some of the Bisquick from the omelet station? If it were me... And I was in charge of a moat. I would put um, piranhas in a moat because I feel like. Oh, good, good, good. Right. If you're going to have a moat, you might as well have a really vicious fish in your moat. I like this as a career pivot for you. Moat. Boat interior designer. A lot of these Republicans want to take us back to the dark ages. And in most ways, they're wrong. But I, I'm open to moats. Mm, okay. What, 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 do we think we you, you one day get one for, for uh, your future country house? That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.